Welcome to the Spirited Advocate Podcast, brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, the leading voice for the distilled spirits industry. Now your host, Chris Wonger. Welcome, Spirits Advocate Podcast listeners. Guess what? We are in National Bourbon Heritage Month, uh, which is a great month, uh, certainly, to celebrate uh, the heritage of American whiskey and America's native spirit as well. Uh, But for everyone should know, it really all starts with George Washington, and it starts with Mount Vernon and so forth. Uh, We are joined here with Steve Bayshore, who's the master distiller, historian for the Mount Vernon Distillery. Steve has been involved living in uh, living history in museums for over the last 25 years. Since 2007, the traditional distiller and involved in making whiskey and other brands and other spirits in the 18th century manner at George Washington's distillery at Mount Vernon. In recent years, he's branched out from rye whiskey and made single malt whiskey, rum, and most recently, of course, bourbon whiskey as well. Steve lectures on regularly on historic topics related to George Washington's historic drilling, milling, farming, the history of windmills and watermills, in 18th century trade and economics. We are really lucky to have you here, Steve, uh, particularly when we're celebrating National Bourbon Heritage Month for sure. So thank you for joining us and thank you for all the great collaboration uh, with the Distilled Spirits Company. It's so great to see you, Chris, and talk with you because the long uh, connection between Distilled Spirits Council and Mount Vernon really goes back 20 years this year. So it's it's a historical, time in its own right, the relationship with us and all that we've done together and for the industry to promote the industry and all the great spirits companies. And of course, drinking responsibility responsibly as was a big initiative I know you all have worked on, but it's an honor to be with you and talk a little bit about spirits. Yeah, it's it's really amazing. I remember I was with Allied Demex Spirits and Wine and Wine at the time. Uh, when we first heard the idea, well, we heard that George Washington was a distiller and there may be an opportunity for uh, the Distilled Spirits Council to collaborate with Mount Vernon. Uh, And that must have been 1998, 1999. And let me just say, interesting, in this discussion, put some focus on it. I'm proud to say that a colleague of mine uh, and myself back in 2006, 2007, started working on the idea of National Bourbon Heritage Month. And uh, in working closely with Senator Jim Bunning, a great senator from Kentucky, and ultimately Senator Senator Trent Lott, the Senate Majority Leader, uh, we were able to pass the first resolution in the United States Senate, uh, really recognizing and celebrating National Bourbon Heritage Month. And uh, just this discussion brought that to my memory. And that was such an exciting time. And at that time, bourbon wasn't hot like it is today. And it's just amazing. So, well, Steve, it is a privilege for us to have you here with us. Speaking of which, as Bourbon Heritage Month nears its end, and we thought it would be appropriate to go all the way back to the history, where it all started. Uh, You've been there from the very, very beginning. I mean, what's that experience been like just on a human level to be a part of history? Well, it's uh, 
when I look back first coming to Mount Vernon, I was had been working at another historic site in Virginia. And at that point, I was, you know, deeply into the milling trade, which I still am, but Mount Vernon was completing the restoration of the distillery. So I was very fortunate to get hired right at the ground level when that building was about to open. So I have fond memories of March 31st, 2007, the grand opening with all the master distillers there, the Distilled Spirits Council there, other dignitaries. Uh, I remember Jimmy Russell being there. Yeah, and David meeting all Pickerel, these people, David Pickerel, Dave Pickerel, uh, Joe Dangler, yeah, uh, Chris Morris, and others. So for me, it was a little bit like starstruck, you know, because I was new to the larger museum scene. And 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 from then on, it's been such a wonderful ride of learning deeply about the history of distilling and learning from different distillers that we work with, and seeing our program grow. I used to joke that in the early runs, we were just happy there was liquid flowing out the back of the still. We've gotten quite good at it over the years, and that's what you hope for. And, and along the way, continued collaboration with some very interesting people in the industry. So it's never a dull moment for us here at Mount Vernon, whether we're doing regular tours or special production. So for me, it's been really uh, like a second chapter in my museum career after many years in, in historic mills. I know, and we had to work closely with the uh, the Virginia ABC to get the license and the permit. I mean, it yeah. start from the very, very beginning, right? So, very much a great collaboration because everybody saw, I think, and we all understand the the richness of the history of spirits in America, and then and then General Washington's role in that late in his life. It was a perfect marriage for talking about history and bringing that that story of rye whiskey f- to the front, because as you mentioned. America, very much a bourbon drinking country, but rye in the 18th century was the American spirit at that time. So before bourbon even was a name whiskey, we have a long history of drinking rye. Absolutely. And with Mount Vernon Estate, it predates the founding of the United States, right? It's been around a long time. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the early 1730s, right? That's Uh, right. Is that right? what was George Washington's goal with the distillery at the time? To make money, uh, to spread the wealth uh, to, for his troops, all of the above? Well, it was really a commercial enterprise. You know, at the time he built the distillery, he was 65 years of age. So right after he finished his second term. And the idea of building the distillery, as you know, the history, Chris, was not Washington's, but his new Scottish farm manager, the, the immigrant, James Anderson, who had been involved heavily in distilling in Scotland. So he pitches the idea and what Washington's looking at is this could be a very good income for me in later years. So initially they distilled small batches in the cooperage next to the mill. And then upon the success of that, Washington did agree to build a large distillery with five stills. So he definitely was looking at commercial revenue production out of that building. And he was able to do that, right? To some degree, he had success. Ultimately. It became the biggest moneymaker for him the last two years of his life. So uh, we have a, a voluminous amount of records here. So in 1797, before the distillery was built, Washington's estate netted $1,800. In 1799, when the distillery produced almost 11,000 gallons of whiskey, that building netted $1,858. So it really essentially doubled the revenue of the estate. Wow. Amazing. And let's hope uh, craft distillers all around the United States have the same success, but certainly with the rate of inflation, obviously. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, so with that, uh, every year distillers are innovating new ways to distill uh, from barrels and they use uh, raw materials. 
do you maintain the same processes used during Washington's time? Yeah, we're about 90 to 95% 18th century. Uh, we do um, do some things to keep cleanliness good in the fermentation. We also, you know, we do own a, a steam pressure washer to clean those copper stills between runs every day. And then we do use, you know, some ingredients that are more on the modern side. So we do use a more modern yeast. Um, but the, the methods are, are all manual labor. So we, we row mash by hand, we bucket hot water to cook the fermentations, and we run five wood-fired stills, which that was a real learning curve over time for us because you have no dial, no temperature gauge to tell you where you're at. So really it's about fire management. And we've gotten pretty good at that over the years. And on the back end, we do filter our whiskeys. And we have a small bottling setup because we are selling into a modern market and we want that whiskey to be you know, up up to par and, and look proper in the glass. Yeah, for those of you who haven't been to the distillery, uh, of course, the Mount Vernon estate is beautiful and it, it, it's such an experience. The distillery is about maybe a half mile down. And it's a little over two miles from the mansion. Miles, uh, yeah. And it's uh, located, you know, it was reconstructed on the original foundations, which Discus, of course, was key in that fundraising effort and built right over top of the original site after, after archaeology was done. So what's interesting about the history of that project is that it's a site that has incredible archaeology along with incredible primary source documents because we have the ledgers, we have the letters. So it's really a, a site that other archaeologists have studied to learn more about uh, spirits in the 18th century. Really, uh, truly a historical landmark. And it's to my understanding, it's the two hundred, it's the two hundred fiftieth of the grist mill being opened by Washington, right? What was the process like that to get that reconstruction of the grist mill underway? Uh, I bet it was tough, right? Yeah, the the, the project there started in nineteen twenty nine. It was a, it was a, the state owned the property, and they rebuilt a mill on the foundations of Washington's original mill location. It was a commemorative mill for what would have been his 200th birthday in 1932. And so it had machinery, but at that time it, it never ran. Uh, it was just a, a tour you could do. They did do archaeology on the distillery in the 1920s, but prohibition was ongoing. So they just covered that back up. And when Mount Vernon acquired the site from the state, we, we made the mill function again, which means all the wooden gearing, the water system, the water wheel, everything had to be put right to 18th century standards. And so that opened in 2002. And as that was progressing, that's when the archaeology next door at the distillery started. So you see these two buildings come to life really starting in 2002. And then again, you know, the mill is a dynamic machine. We grind grain almost every day there. And we do sell food grade products, you know, for people that like baking and, and, and then, of course, we grind all the grain for our whiskey production. So it's a very unique aspect because all the distilleries, you know, where Maker's Mark is today, there was a mill there in 1804. Yep. So a lot of times, uh, you know, you think of the hammer mill or roller mills today that they grind grain on. In the early days, if you look at those Kentucky maps, nearby every distillery was a water mill. Water mill. And you had to have it. So, so when people visit us, they really get to see, they go back in time and see how two buildings function together. Pretty amazing. And you mentioned the spirit of Mount Vernon. Uh, uh, just to put some perspective, uh, and uh, uh, the great Peter Cressy, who was uh, the president and CEO of Distilled Spirits for 
16 plus years and did a phenomenal job. Uh, Admiral Cressy uh, really was uh, the spearhead on behalf of Discus and its member companies to initiate uh, the collaboration with Mount Vernon, but uh, and, and we are celebrating our 20th year anniversary for the Spirit of Mount Vernon uh, dinner. Could you provide some perspective uh, about that and how that all really came together in raising money? It took a lot of effort and investment and commitment by many in the industry to, to really bring the distillery to life. It's so very true. So when Mount Vernon reached out, in those early years to the Distilled Spirits Council, uh, Admiral Cressy was key in realizing that this is the heritage of our, of our industry and that the, he reached out to several uh, well-known companies that, that we all work with. And they were, they were right in on it from the beginning. They realized this needed to be done. So the, the fundraising went pretty quick and pretty well. And then they also helped on the PR front because each of those companies sent master distillers to Mount Vernon for various events uh, I think one of the first ones was long before I was here. They they floated barrels in the Potomac and, of course, up to the wharf at Mount Vernon. I remember that day. It was a glorious the, day. It was a beautiful day, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, the other key thing they did right on site using a small still that Vendome made. It was a copy of a Smithsonian-owned still from the 1790s. Jimmy Russell, Dave Pickrell, uh, Joe Dangler, uh, Chris Morris, uh, the folks from Vendome and others made small batches of the original recipe, Washington rye, which was then helped with fundraising. That was 2003, four and five. And because some of your rum companies were involved at the beginning with fundraising, we also did a rum in 2005 outside on that still. And all that went to help fund the project. So those early days uh, of collaboration are unique to think about and the spirit, pardon the pun, of those people together doing it the old way uh, they enjoyed the heck out of it. And that really laid the seed money down for what we were able to do to reconstruct it. So here we are 20 years later, every fall, we'd have that big event up by the mansion under the tent with a lot of other trade associations involved at well to raise money for Mount Vernon. And, uh, I don't know the totals over the 20 years, Chris, but it's been an incredible help to the education and preservation mission of Mount Vernon all these years. Pretty amazing. And it's typically every there's been a couple of years where it's rained really bad on those great dinners. But most of the time, they're glorious evenings, uh, almost spiritual. Right. Uh, I remember uh, Dr. Cressy came up with the idea. Of course, we had to have fireworks and so so forth. George Washington is always there. Yeah, just really, really a beautiful evening. And for those that are listening, if you've if you've never been, please let us know. Uh, the next one is coming up uh, on October 7th, uh, on Thursday, October 7th. Unfortunately, unfortunately, that is uh, right in direct conflict with the Discus Annual Conference down in Austin. But we'll right. be there and a big part of the Discus team will be there. Uh, and certainly I'll be there in spirit. But it, it is it, it's really, really uh, just an amazing evening to celebrate, uh, of, of course, the first president and the distillery in Mount Vernon and really America, uh, if you really think about it and all what's great about our country and so forth. So, uh, you know, the industry really, really came together and I should register, you know, Frank Coleman, for those of you who may not know uh, at the time, he, he led uh, communications efforts with Discus working all in close collaboration uh, with, 
many of our member company communication folks, Lisa Hawkins and so forth, just the, the media coverage and the attention. And why wouldn't there be great media coverage? Because it was such a beautiful, terrific story that was happening. And that story continues today. And yeah. uh, uh, looking forward to another 20 years of the Spirit of Mount Vernon uh, dinner, uh, usually in October every year. Sometimes it's gone back and forth from September or October, uh, but it's just a glorious evening. So the 20th year anniversary, what were George Washington's favorite spirits? What do you continue to make of Mount Vernon today? Well, the general really loved Madeira. He was a big fan of Madeira wine. He drank porter beer. He enjoyed porter beer quite a bit. And he drank whiskey on occasion, champagne. So his cellars were well stocked, uh, kind of like a discus bar would be yeah. today. Yeah. Um, so we have those records from those eras. And you can look in through there and see what was stored in the basement of that mansion. And uh, for Washington, I think uh, probably number one was Madeira. What we do today is mainly rye whiskey which is what he made the most of in the 18th century. Um, and of course, I think you might agree, the discus team, that I think the resurgence of rye whiskey interestingly starts about the time that the project at Mount Vernon starts to be talked about. Yeah. I mean, other, other people were doing it, and then everyone started to realize really that the heritage of whiskey in America starts with rye. There, there's certainly corn whiskey being made in early America, but again, bourbon as a name, a, you know, a specific whiskey doesn't come along till a little later. Um, we also made rum once, which was a special fundraising effort. We've made single malt whiskey once. And as I mentioned to you before we got on the call, we did make bourbon in 2018. So we branch out a little bit, but our bread and butter is that same mash bill rye that Washington made. And you can go to Mount Vernon and pick up a bottle, right? That's made right there at the distillery. Yes, we have it on sale at the Gristmill Distillery Shop when that's open for tours. And right now that site's open just on weekends through the end of October. We are having tastings on Saturdays there. So you have to get tickets prepaid, which you can do online at mountvernon.org. So every Saturday afternoon, we're doing tastings. Um, and then come the end of October, the site closes down because we go into production mode. Uh, the estate's open every day of the year. So you can come see Washington's home. We have extensive grounds and gardens, a lot of outdoor spaces to enjoy. So it's kind of in that way, perfect for people who may want to be not in enclosed spaces right now. So there's a lot to see here and uh, we'll have a lot of programming through the fall. So if you check out mountvernon.org, you can see our calendar of events and what's going on. And Steve, I know I've, I, I had lunch with Dr. Cressy a couple of weeks ago and there, there's some thinking about maybe uh, Cooperage House or something, right? Uh, because, because of the success, right? Uh, uh, there may be some opportunities to get more involved to support Mount Vernon. Uh, That's right. Right. Yeah. We've always got initiatives going on and we're, we're hoping to, uh, you know, like every entity that lost a lot at the gate last year, you know, those donors that are generous help us get through these lean times. We've got a lot of wonderful people that, that donate to Mount Vernon. And also you can become a Mount Vernon member, different membership levels, which, it's nice because if you live in the area, you get a membership. It literally pays for itself within a couple of months because you can come and get discounts or come on the estate at various times to partake in the different programs that are ongoing. It's truly, truly a piece of American history. And uh, thanks to Steve's leadership uh, and, and the work of everybody in the industry, many 
the distillery has been brought to life and it is uh, uh, such a treat to visit and be a part of that. Uh, with that, with that, Steve, just a couple of kind of fire round questions. Okay. Uh, if you, you know, we've all had to navigate uh, the, the challenges with the pandemic. And you mentioned Mount Vernon has had its own challenges, right? I'm sure uh, for a period of months, uh, the, the tour is, uh, the ability to tour the site was probably shut down for a little while. So uh, Mount Vernon is not immune to some of the challenges that we've all experienced. Uh, uh, as a result of the pandemic, right? Yeah, in fact, uh, March 2020, when everything hit, we were in the middle of whiskey production. And so our CEO, Dr. Doug Bradburn, came out to the distillery and told me, you know, we need to shut down. This thing's looking like it's going to be worse than we thought. So I I had one more day of mash to run. And so I asked Doug if I, I can cut the staff in half and we'll just finish this last day because I didn't want to lose all that work. Sure. And we put everything in tanks, temporary storage, and we couldn't get back in the building till May. And we finished that run, but the estate itself didn't reopen till June of 2020. And that was just outside the farm, the gardens. Yeah. And we kind of walked it forward slowly. And we were, you know, we were thankful to see some people coming back because everybody at some point wanted to get back outside. It was helpful to have these open spaces. The winter, as we know, was odd for everyone difficult, but seeing this year has been a little better and we're seeing uh, more people, not not nearly our usual visitation, but uh, slowly but surely uh, people are coming back as they feel safe. And, and we're here to offer the same high quality educational programs and tours that we do. And this institution has done really since the 1858 when it was founded. And I don't know if a lot of people realize Mount Vernon's a private nonprofit that we don't take any federal or state money and never have. So this is a unique institution run by the Mount Vernon Lazy Association. So it was saved by a group of women in the 1850s. And our board still consists of all women and they make the overarching decisions about the direction this organization goes. And, you know, it's an honor to work with them because they're they're visionaries in many ways. And that's why Mount Vernon is the way it is. And you can come and experience a a bit of the past here. And Steve, help me with this because uh, uh, under the leadership of Dr. Admiral, Dr. Peter Cressy, Admiral Cressy, Mount Vernon has a leadership program as well, right? For folks to take full advantage of. Uh, which That's is right. In itself. Yeah, the leadership program is run out of the Fred W. Smith uh, Library for the Study of George Washington, which we built and opened about six years ago. So it's a research library. And it's just across from where the estate is and a piece of property we own. And so scholars from around the country and around the world come to do study and writing and publishing about Washington and the Washington era. And amongst the programs they do that Dr. Cressy leads along with uh, Dr. Joel Stoltz is leadership programming for a variety of groups from federal agencies to corporate groups. In fact, yesterday we had the Salt Lake City Chamber of Commerce here for a program all afternoon. And then they toured the mansion and had dinner at Mount Vernon. And uh, it's really using the example of Washington's leadership in various realms, not just military or political, but as a commercial minded person and an entrepreneur and so occasionally I help with some of those with, with Peter and, and give some talks about the entrepreneurial Washington. But you can contact the library because there's great opportunities for, for whatever entity you are running. These programs are high quality and really, you know, use the example of Washington as a leader to help pe- people understand management and leadership today. Absolutely. And, you know, as of today, you know, our, our country needs leadership like that in so Definitely. many ways. And, Definitely. Uh, 
that George Washington really set the standard bearer of of what's right. You know, certainly during that time, you know, he had to navigate a whole host of challenges and bringing the country together and so forth. Uh, Steve, okay, uh, you've probably probably have been sticking close to home over the last year and a half. If you could be anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world uh, to have a cocktail, where would that place be right at this moment? Could be right there at the distillery and that's fine. And yeah. what cocktail would you have? Well, I'm always partial to the old fashioned. Uh, but, uh, you know, I also think of uh, the Manhattan because it had rye in it. So before COVID, I would have my stepdaughter in New York and I often like to go up to New York City. There's so many great bars, but I really miss European travel. If I could be anywhere, it wouldn't maybe be for a cocktail, but I sure would like to get back to Edinburgh and uh, spend more time on the malt whiskey trail as well. That's okay. A little bit of scotch uh, won't hurt you. That's for sure. Yeah. So, we know it's, it's medicinal, Chris. We all know this, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so Steve, uh, on behalf of the distilled spirits council in, and really the industry, thank you for all that you do. And uh, uh, congratulations on all of Mount Vernon's success, the distillery success. Uh, we celebrate National Bourbon Heritage Month uh, with great enthusiasm, uh, celebrating America's native spirit, but also this little history lesson that we've gone through and for our audience, it's, it's really unique and special for our industry. And uh, it is it is a privilege for Discus having to play a small role in support of y'all's efforts. Uh, and uh, cheers to you. Cheers to Mount Vernon. Cheers to the father of our country, the first president, George Washington, and a great distiller. And uh, thank you for everything that you do. And Chris, I'd just like to second that. Thanks to Discus for all the support over the years. And and also uh, to those of you interested in George Washington bourbon, since it's uh, bourbon heritage, wait a couple more years and those bottles will be out. So stay tuned. But uh, it's great to talk with you as always. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. The Spirited Advocate podcast was brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States. If you'd like to be a guest speaker on the show or send us topic suggestions to cover, please contact us at podcast at distilledspirits.org. And please like and share these episodes. Your support is very appreciated.